Lewis, Al Devan with Mr. Brian. Gary, Hapetree Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Hey, go sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing folks all around town, all around the country, wherever you may be. There you go. Whatever you got on your mind. There you go. <laughs> give us a call. I was thinking th- this morning, uh-huh. I've, I've been studying, trying to learn a new language, okay. and you don't realize when you start to learn something like that how difficult it is. And the service that I'm using to learn this spends an inordinate amount of time on learning verbs and learning adverbs and possessive adjectives and all these things you forgot about so in English. You, so you're starting with the basics. you got to start with the basics. And you obviously want to just jump in there and start speaking, mm-hmm. but you have to learn these basic fundamentals or you will never ever know the language you'll never be proficient at the language and i thought that sort of related pretty well to what goes on in the automotive business if you don't know the basic fundamentals of what you're trying to do sure you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're never going to be very very good in fact you're probably not going to be able to ever really get much done i get a lot of email from folks where they'll say my blower motor is not running, I'm not getting enough air out of my blower. Uh-huh. And even when I put it on high or shift it up or down the knob, I just don't get enough air. It's blowing about 10%. Where are the fuses? Well, if you understand anything about the basic fundamentals of electricity, right? if, if a it, fuse blows, it's not going to work at all. Exactly. If that fan is running, you can forget about the fuses. Yeah, you can forget that particular aspect it's sort of like i also get you know my car won't start so i replace the battery and it still won't start it just Mm -hmm. cranks over well you see that shows a lack of knowledge of the one of the most fundamental things you've got cranking which is when the starter motor is turning the motor and you've got starting which is when the motor starts right and the motor actually runs if it is cranking over just fine then you've got enough battery. You've got a battery. The battery is not going to be the problem. The exactly. cables are not going to be the problem. You know, this just has a huge implication on the way you go about trying to fix cars. Such a simple thing to someone who knows what they're doing. Right, but if you don't understand it, you end up off on a tangent trying to do something that you're not familiar with or have no experience with. Right, so first off, and I thought we would talk a little bit about diagnostics and not complicated diagnostics, but just very kind of basic, basic stuff. stuff that most people just don't, don't understand. seem to get. Yeah, they really don't understand the basic mm-hmm. fundamentals of the car. Right. And so what they do, they'll just start changing parts and, and doing this and not even get close to the problem. I had another one that the gentleman had a pickup truck, an older pickup truck, and he says, when I try to go, I give it the gas, and it just won't go. Okay. Well, now... You have to try to determine what it is. What are you actually saying here? Because when you give it the gas, does the engine rev up and it doesn't move, or does it just not rev up? Mm-hmm. Now, very, very, very simple question, but that is going to eliminate more than half the possibilities one way or the other. Sure, it gives you a starting point yeah. once you understand it. If the engine is racing wildly, but the vehicle is not moving, that is going to be something in the transmission or if it's a standard, maybe the clutch. Uh-huh. 
In other words, the engine is racing up. It's doing what it's supposed to do. But the vehicle's still not moving. Not moving. So it's something between the engine and the back wheels. Well, and it could be a brake locked up. It could be a brake locked up, just not allowing the vehicle to move. Right. That's easy enough to check. Well, and again, the engine's probably not going to race up wildly if it's tied to a good transmission and trying to move the vehicle. It's going to bog the engine down. Very, very good. So... You know, if you've got a tachometer, which virtually every vehicle built in the last 40 years probably has, you put it in gear, give it the gas, press the accelerator, and see what the tachometer does. If it shoots up, okay, well, now we're probably into some type of transmission issue. Mm-hmm. If it bogs down and does not go up, forget the transmission, forget the drive shaft, forget the rear end. It's not going to be anything like that. It's going to be an engine running problem. Now, when you say engine running problem, a lot of people get confused. Now, there's lots of things that can cause that. But, again, basic fundamentals. There are four things that an engine has to have to start or to run. Exactly. You know, the first off is fire. It has to have ignition. You have to have a spark to ignite the fuel-air mixture. Right. And, again, this goes back to the fundamentals. If you know how an engine works, you've got a piston that moves up. It compresses the fuel-air mixture. The spark ignites, it explodes the fuel-air mixture, which drives the piston down, which turns the crankshaft, and as long as it's all in time, it, it'll run. Mm-hmm. Now, so if you got a vehicle that does not run, probably the easiest thing to check, is, especially on an older vehicle like that, would be the spark. Does it sure. have spark? Does it have the correct spark? Correct spark. So you would pull one of the plug wires at the spark plug, hold it close to the engine, engine block, block crank the engine, and see if you've got a nice, hot, blue spark. If you got about a half-inch-long blue spark, you can forget about the ignition. Snap. Forget about all that. Right. The ignition's it's in good shape. It's not going to be the coil. It's not going to be the points. It's not going to be any of that. Now, take the same wire, put it next to the plug. Does it still jump fire? Because if it jumps fire to the engine block, does not jump fire to the plug, then you got a plug that's either fouled out, out. Or the gap's too big. gap's too big or too small, closed up. Uh Maybe a piston hit the plug and smashed the gap shut. Something is wrong there. But you you know the ignition's okay, so it's not the call, it's not the distributor, it's not any of those things. It's got to be something. So next thing you would do, which is easy on most vehicles, we pull the spark plugs out. Now, let's look at the condition of the spark plugs. Are the plugs fouled? Are they wet? If so, then you may have fouled out spark plugs. You go ahead and replace the plugs and see what happens. Not necessarily the only problem. And if you've got fouled out spark plugs, why are the plugs fouled? I was going to say there's a reason why. Yeah. If they're fouled with fuel, then you probably, the carburetor, carburetor the injectors are sticking and it's flooding the engine out too mm-hmm. much. If they're fouled with oil, then you've got an internal engine problem. So, you know, these are the ways, just very, very, very fundamental knowledge and a few basic hand tools. Sure. You don't need anything special. Let's see our plugs look good. They're tan. The gap is proper on them. Okay. If they're bone white, then you probably got an ignition problem. Right. If they're tan, then they're firing. If they're black or wet, they're fouled. Okay. You got the plugs out anyway. The next easiest thing is check the compression on the engine. Okay. Now, that's not normally where I would start, but I got the plugs out anyway. Sure. So that's real easy at this point. Let's check the compression on the engine. Do I have adequate compression? And is it? Equal, equal across cylinder all cylinder. the cylinders. Because if I've got seven cylinders with 150 PSI and one cylinder with 20 PSI. Well, we know we got a problem in that cylinder. We have an internal engine problem here. There's no right. use Why? going 
to the fuel system. There's no use looking at the ignition. There's no use looking any further until we determine, determine what that is. Now, why the compression is low. Let's say we have low compression, equally low in all cylinders. Again, there's only a handful of things that could cause that. Exactly. One is, you know, obviously, the engine's just completely worn out. But that's if it was running before and quit running, that's probably not going to be it. So now we're looking at something like jumping timing. Mm-hmm. Because if the timing chain slips or jumps, first thing, it's going to interfere with the relationship of the piston to the camshaft, so the compression is going to drop in every cylinder. Exactly. So, we're again, like we said initially, you have to have fire, you have to have fuel, you have to have compression, and you have to have timing. Timing has to be correct. They all have to hit at the same time. Right. You know, if the piston is on its way down the cylinder when the spark goes off, it's not going to run. Mm-hmm. It has to be all the way at the top of the cylinder, or near top of the cylinder, we say, with both valves closed, full compression, or as the fuel-air mixture has to be compressed, then when the spark goes off, it's going to explode. It's going to drive the piston down, which is going to make power, which we call running. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. again, very, very, very fundamental stuff. You, you check your compression, and there's right and wrong ways. I would advise anybody to go to my site and just type in compression type in the word compression it'll give you detailed instructions on how to do that what the readings mean because if you do that test improperly and you get a wrong reading then you end up down a rabbit hole well that's right in the wrong direction well you can misinterpret and there's if you've got low compression on one cylinder it's probably something with that cylinder correct could be a burnt valve it could be a hole on top of the piston it could be a lot of things let's say we have low compression on two adjacent cylinders well, now maybe we're looking at a blown head gasket blown between the two cylinders. Sure. So it gives you a lot of insight into what's going on. If we have equally low compression on all cylinders, we're probably looking well, at... Well, you're looking for something that affects all the cylinders. Right, like jumping timing, like timing, for instance. So this one simple little test, and I know somebody's going to say, well, I don't have a compression gauge. Well, I mean, come on. Ten, 10, 12 bucks, you can buy a sure. pretty good compression gauge. Sure. Super simple to use. That is less than... One thing you're going to buy and try. Oh, most definitely. And hope to fix something. So, again, very simple instructions, very basic. These are the ways that you can repair a car without spending a huge amount of money on stuff and possibly making the situation worse. Definitely. Now, we can go more in depth with this, but we're going to have our first little break. Be back in just a few minutes with a whole lot more. If you ever plan to move. TJ, I've been looking to tone up, man. You have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, bruh. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. 
back. Please join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Three Tools, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call. Talking a little bit today about diagnostics on older cars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I say older cars, I mean the... Well, you the, still have to know the basics. You still got to know the basics. Even with the newer cars. Doesn't matter if it's 2020 or uh, exactly. 1920. You got to know the basics. But on the newer cars, it's a little more difficult to check some of this stuff. It like, is. for instance... On the old car that had plugs and wires and all that, you could pull a wire and check the ignition very easily. Sure. On a modern car with call packs and all that, not, not more so difficult. Easy. But the other side of that coin is you probably got some codes that can give you some ideas of what's going on. Sure. We'll talk about that another day. But today we're just talking about the cars that are kind of the, what we call the simple cars, uh, simple. which are really not <laughs> as simple as a lot of people think. In fact, you know, it's, it's funny – a lot of the technicians and stuff in the field today are younger people who have never had any experience with these things. Exactly. And when they get one of those cars, they yeah, are they're lost. totally lost because they can't pull a code and, and know where to go. Right. So, again, it goes back to a lack of knowledge of the basic fundamentals and principles of how a car operates, how an engine operates. Mm-hmm. And we talked about ignition. If you got a nice blue hot spark, then you can forget all that. Sure. Now, if you don't have a nice blue hot spark. Then you got to figure out why. Now, you got to figure out why. First thing that I would do is pull the call wire off. Now, do I have a hot spark at the call? Because if I take that wire off, put something near that terminal, and pap, 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 it's firing, okay, I know my call is good, and I know what is making the call fire is good. Mm-hmm. So if it's an old car with points, I know the points, I know the condenser, I know all that are good. Right. Now, if i got no fire at the coil, I've got to see if I've got a pulse to the call. And again, a simple voltmeter can tell you that. Exactly. You either have a pulse or you don't have a pulse. If you don't, then you're looking at the points or something like that are not breaking. Mm-hmm. If the points are breaking and you've got a spark but it's very, very weak, you probably look at a condenser. condenser. Because sure. what the condenser did, again, you got to understand the fundamentals. When the points break, that condenser sucks out the energy, which causes the field to collapse immediately, which induces the spark into the call. Correct. If the condenser is weak or not working, you're going to have a very, very pale spark, a very weak spark. Now, a bad call can cause the same thing, but again, you can check all these things very, very simply. Now, if you've got fire to uh, at the call, okay, the next thing is check the call wire because I've seen a call seen wire break down. Off, sure, and you pull the call wire off, attach it to the call, put it near ground. Does it spark there? If it sparks there, call wire is good. Mm-hmm. Very, very simple stuff. I've seen the rotors collapse, the uh, rotor uh, tang break off right. the top. Or so take the cap off and you, look at the body you, inside well, the cap. You, you verify the call is working. You put the call wire in, but I got no wire, no fire at the plug wire. Okay, well, what's in between the plug wire and the thing? The cap and the rotor. That's right, the cap and the rotor. You pull it off. If the tip is broken off the rotor or the cap's full of water mm-hmm. or something, oil maybe from a bad distributor, the bushings have gone bad, it pumps the, the cap full of oil. The oil is dispersing the spark around the inside of the cap. It's not going to run right. So it's not going to run. Yeah, it's, it's just going to sit there and crank, crank, crank. Water will do the same thing. It will yep. short that spark out inside the cap. So, again, very, very basic knowledge. It almost sounds silly when you talk about it, but I can't tell you how many Thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars, have been wasted by not performing these simple tests. Well, sure. I mean, newer engines have no distributors. Right. So that technology is is outdated. So unless you find somebody that knows Mm -hmm. about how a distributor works, understands it, and has to work on it, and you're going to be lost. No, that's right. You know, the thing is, if you don't make this simple test, I have had cars towed into the shop, and the guy said, man, I changed this, this, Mm -hmm. this, 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 this. 
and you pull the distributor cap, and the rotor is broken off. It, the motor talked over the cap, hit the firewall. As the rotor was turning, it hit one of the terminals, broke the rotor terminal off. Sure. Well, now it's just sitting there turning, but it's not pushing a spark out to the terminals. You know, speaking of that, we worked on a Corvette. It was a fuel-injected Corvette, 80, late 80s model, mm-hmm. and it would it would idle fine, and it would run up to about 2,000 RPMs. Mm-hmm. And after 2,000 RPMs, it would, just start, it would start cutting out and missing and, and carrying on. The distributor... Chevrolet was in the back up next right. to the firewall. It was, it was a bear to get to. Mm-hmm. So nobody wanted to take the distributor cap off. I finally got in there, and we got the distributor cap off. And the little carbon tip that came out the top of the cap. Yeah, that little button. The button, it's a carbon tip that mm-hmm. goes in the uh, rotor. Oh. I mean, touch, in the, touches in the, the rotor. Cap, yeah, in the cap, touches the rotor. Touches the rotor, was gone. Mm-hmm. And what was happening is that fire was coming out of the wire, and it was shooting down to the rotor. Jumping to it. And... At a certain RPMs, it just couldn't handle it anymore, and it would sling the, the well, as fire the, out. As the RPM increases, the compression, effective running compression increases, so therefore the amount of energy required to fire those cylinders gets greater. So as the pressure got greater and the spark needed more, it just started jumping to one of the terminals, jumping around inside the cap. And that's it started misfiring. Right. So very, very difficult to diagnose if you don't understand how it works. Exactly. If you have a basic understanding how it works, piece of cake. Sure. I mean, you, you you go to that go right to it pretty darn quick. So you know, if the if the spark is making it to the distributor, not out of the distributor, then the problems inside the distributor somewhere. Again, all this stuff is not rocket science. No, it's all basics. If I've got a trigger, be it points on the old cars or a crank signal or whatever on the newer cars, it's getting to the distributor and it's not coming out of the distributor. Well, in that case, you probably got something in the distributor's bad. Either sure. the trigger wheel inside the distributor's bad. The call call is inside the distributor on a lot of them, the pickup, Mm -hmm. all these kinds of things. So the point is, test and see if you've got a spark. Sure. Because rather than saying, well, let me go change, if we know we've got a good, hot spark, we we can can eliminate all that. We forget all that stuff. about the ignition system? That's right. Now, if the ignition system is good, car still won't start. Mm -hmm. Again, next thing, check and make sure you got compression. Right. in, In the case we were talking about before. If you got compression, good compression, then you know the engine's healthy. You don't have to pull the timing chain off and check to see that it's jump time, and you don't have to worry about any. You don't have to worry about burnt valves or holes in pistons or any of that kind of stuff. If the compression one is good. simple test, sure. you eliminate the entire. You, you know you've got a base there that can run. So the next thing we need to see: Do we have fuel? Mm-hmm. Now with a carburetor, basically the fuel just had to get to the carburetor and fill the bowl up. Right. Wasn't that critical. On a more modern car with injection, you've got to have adequate fuel pressure. Just having some does not mean it's going to run. Right. It has to be a specific pressure. Right. Some of the newer vehicles, like, say, a Chevy pickup, it may say you've got to have between 46 and 48 PSI of pressure. Well, I can tell you, you have 30 PSI. It's not going to run. You can crack the line. It'll spray out. Sure. That does not mean you've got fuel pressure. 30 PSI, it ain't going to start. It ain't going to run. So now you need a fuel pressure gauge if you're going to work on that type of car. With a carburetor, probably the easiest way is to take the air cleaner off, work the little uh, linkage, linkage, and Uh see if the accelerator pump pumps gas in. If you see gas going in, then you can figure, okay, the carburetor's got gas in it. Right. It should have enough to start. Right. It should have enough at least to start the vehicle. Right. Now, let's say the accelerator pump has gone bad, which does happen. You may get a little trickle of gas if you work it 
you should have a good solid Steady stream stream of gas every sure. time you work that knot. If you move the linkage at all, you should get a good steady stream of fuel. Now, if you don't, again, you got to go back to the fundamental approach. Why is that accelerator pump in there? Well, the way a carburetor works is that when the throttle blade is closed, it's working through the idle circuit. Mm-hmm. There is a little hole or a little slot below the throttle blade. The vacuum of the engine is drawing fuel in. And it's got just enough air to go in there and mix and make a fuel-air mixture. The mixture is controlled by little idle screws. Right. You screw them in, screw them out until you get where it'll idle. Now, when you accelerate, that blade starts to open. As the blade opens, the engine vacuum is going to start to fall. Eventually, enough air is going to go through that venturi to create a vacuum inside the carburetor. That's called the venturi effect. The opening at the top is big. It narrows down to a small opening. Then it opens up big again after that. In that little small part, that's where it's going to have the highest vacuum because you're taking a column of air, you're compressing it down, which means it has to move faster to go through that little thing. When it moves faster, it draws the fuel in through the jets. Mm -hmm. The jet controls the fuel-air mixture. But if you accelerate, what's going to happen is that not enough fuel is going to be coming in. The car is going to fall flat on its face. It's going to go, do when you mash the gas. Then, boop, it'll take off. Okay, that's a sign of an accelerator pump. Because why that pump is in there, number one, is to, prevent, to provide a little squirt of fuel to get the car started. And number two is to get you over the flat spot between, between idle adventure. and running. Right. Once it's running, you don't even need an accelerator pump. The air, if, it's, if, if you got a race car and you're going to idle it at 3,000 RPM, and you go run yeah. some air up, you don't even have to have that circuit. Right. Not going to be needed because the air is flowing through that venturi quick enough to draw enough fuel in. So, again, these are very, very, very simple things, a simple mechanical device, but you got to understand how it works to diagnose the problems. Hey, got to take our second quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy. But there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks stand off Louisiana 1, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. No hassles, just straight-up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right, saving you money in the long run. So what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy, too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. We just joined us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Ms. Brian Terry. We need to try to answer any questions you may have. We're talking a little bit today about diagnosis on older cars, sure. which is the you know stuff that still had carburetors, carburetors or maybe plug wires. Right. <laughs> you might narrow it down. But, of course, we'll take a call on any topic you might have. We're not ever limited to whatever we may be talking about today. That's just something to give us a jabber about. There you go. <laughs> so don't, don't lose track worse than we do anyway. Again, talking about a little bit about understanding the fundamentals and how things work. You know, a, a bad accelerator pump can cause a car not to start. 
Because what can happen, if you mash the accelerator once, twice, like you normally do, it doesn't spray any gas into the cylinder. Right. So you're relying on the yeah. idle circuit to try to pull enough it, fuel, it, and it, it can't, can't do possibly that. possibly do that. No. So on this case, where you could very easily diagnose the problem, simply take the air cleaner off, look down the, the plate, carburetor. Right. Work your throttle. Again, when you just barely move that throttle linkage, you, fuel should, should, be, you should see fuel spraying in there. Correct. Now, if... Fuel is spraying in there regularly, still won't start. Another thing, again, you start, you check your ignition first to make sure you've got mm-hmm. a spark. Check, don't ever forget, check the ignition to the plug because you want to check it first to the engine block. Okay, I got fire here. Put it on the plug. I don't have fire there. Older cars, particularly with carburetors, had a nasty habit. A lot of people forgot about this. They would get flooded. Sure. Now, what flooded me is somebody sat there and mashed the accelerator so many times, they pumped enough gas into the motor to where the plugs are wet. They're not going to fire if they're wet. Exactly. The spark, the electricity from that spark is simply going to drain off through the liquid and discharge without making a spark. You know, you don't see that very much today because with injection and all that, it's almost impossible to flood a car. You can sit there and pump the pedal all you want. All you're you do anything. You're opening and closing an air valve. And, and even with the old cable. Yeah, with system. a cable. With, now, with the drive-by wire, you're not doing anything. Yeah, you're not you're doing just anything. just working the pedal back and forth. Yeah, it's ignoring you. It's right. got a sensor there that tells Three it, sensors. Yeah. That's, There's actually three sensors on that accelerator right. pedal that have to correspond with the PCM to actually and tell to each other and that's to each other, and then that tells the the PCM tells the throttle plate to open and close. Right. So if the motor's not running, it knows it's not running because the crank sensor's not turning, the cam sensor's not turning, so it knows it's just sitting there. If you're sitting there pushing that pedal, you're not doing anything you're doing at all. Absolutely nothing. It's ignoring it. Right. I hear people sometimes say, "Well, you know, if I pump the gas pedal several times, it'll start." Well, no. That's not it. You're doing something else. Mm-hmm. Well, I turn the key off. I turn it back on. There you go. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you cycle the ignition a couple of times on you're a cycling. modern car, you're running the fuel pump for a few seconds. Correct. Each time you turn that ignition on and turn it off, you're running the fuel pump for. So, if you did not touch the gas pedal at all and, and just turn the key on, the... turn it off, it would start. Sure, it's not pumping the pedal that did it. Now, old cars that was totally different. Everybody, if you remember back in the day, everybody had a knack for starting their car. Uh huh. You would kind of learn it over time, and you knew. This car, you just get in there and turn the key. That's all you have to do. The next car, you have to push the pedal down one time. One time. Let it go, hit the key. The next one, you have to pump it twice. Everyone was different because yep. every carburetor is different. Every car was different. And you just kind of develop the technique that worked best for you. Mm-hmm. Some cars would, the choke wasn't exactly right or whatever. It would die two or three times between the oh, time you started and sure. driveway. That was normal. And people would just kind of get used to what I'll do. I'll just kind of hold one foot lightly on the accelerator to pick the idle up. Well, what they were doing is they were circumventing the systems in the car that was designed to do that. Maybe they didn't work or didn't work well, Mm -hmm. but they could get by like that. Well, and they learned how to drive with two feet. That's right. (laughs) Most, most people can't drive with two feet. Well, and see the way a carburetor would deal with this running coal because when an engine is coal, it runs very inefficient. Right. It needs more fuel. It needs to get to a full temperature to run efficiently. Now, with injection, it has a sensor. It tells it the engine's cold. It tells it what the air temperature is outside. Right. It knows all these things. It knows the barometric pressure. It knows how so, much air is coming into the motor. That's right. It simply increases the pulse width on the injector and gives it more fuel. So it runs just fine. That's why when you reach out there and you hit the key, it fires right up and it idles at almost perfect yeah, right off RPM, the bat. right off the bat. And it'll speed the RPM up if it needs to. It'll bring it down if it needs to. Well, carburetors couldn't do all those things. No. So what the engineers did, and really pretty ingenious in their methods, but they would have some type of little thermostatic coil on most of them. Mm-hmm. Many times it was down on the intake manifold. That coil is a bimetallic coil. 
as it got cold, it would sort of contract back, and it would pull down on a secondary a flap. flap, which is called a choke. And that's a term that most people, if you're under the age of 40, you probably, you probably don't heard of a choke. <laughs> but it would close off the air supply to the engine. When you mash the accelerator pedal, it pumped fuel in. It would richen the mixture up enough to where the car would start. Correct. Now, as the engine started to warm up, it this little bimetallic call would expand. As it expand, it would push up on the rod. It would open that flap valve. Now, the problem was, if this broke or malfunctioned, that valve would stay shut. You give it the gas, it wouldn't go mm-hmm. because the choke was closed all the way and no air could get in. If it would run at all. If it would run at all. The way they controlled the idle is that they had a little cam that would turn on there, and it was tied to the choke in some manner, had a link or something going to it, to where when it was choking the engine, knowing it was cold, it would also turn this cam, which would push the idle screw back, which would cause it to idle faster as it started to warm up. Mm -hmm. As it warms up, all that would roll back over. So the key is if the car would start, would not really accelerate properly, would bog down, and it was running fast, then you knew the choke was stuck. Right. So, again, it's just very, very fundamental understanding of how this worked. Well, and all that stuff was mechanical. Everything was mechanical. Right. The only electronic part you had was actually the points and the, and the condenser in the older models. Right. And very few of them later on had an electric choke on it. They did. And it was still a bimetallic call, but it had a heater element on it. Rather than waiting for the engine heat to warm it up, this little heater element had a timer of some sort. And it would produce heat. It would warm that call up and, again, open the choke. It still operated in the same manner. It's still mechanical, basic but it was manner. just a different And, again, process. diagnosis on that was as simple as removing the air cleaner and looking down. If the choke was flap, flap was, was shut and the, the engine was, was at operating temperature, then you knew that was wrong. Sure. So you start looking at choke. Did the link fall off of it? Is the call bad? The little uh, therm- thermal uh-huh. call? The- you know, what was wrong here? So I maladjusted it, put it too much. Because in the winter, you may have to go back and, and adjust your choke and come back in the summer and, and readjust it uh-huh. because the range wasn't sufficient to handle both situations. Sure. Fortunately, on a modern-day car, again, there's several sensors. You have an ambient temperature sensor, which tells you, okay, the outside temperature is very cold. It's 30 degrees. And I noticed somebody up north laughing at me right now. 30 degrees ain't cold. I go swimming in 30 degrees. Okay. If you're in Minnesota, maybe so. Right. <laughs> South Louisiana, not too yeah, much. that's it. Not so much. 30 degrees cold to us. All right. right. So, yeah, that is going to respond differently. But if it knows the outside temperature is cold, the next thing is to look at the engine temperature. It says, okay, engine temperature is fully warm. This engine has already started and run today, so I don't have to worry about all this stuff. Even though the outside air is very cold, I don't have to worry because my engine temperature is warm. Mm-hmm. It may even look at the fuel temperature. Sure. Some of them have fuel temperature. So it knows the temperature of the fuel. You know, it can adapt to all these things. So basically what we've done with a PCM is we've taken the things we've been talking about all day today, all these fundamental operating principles of a vehicle, and we just put them made in the a code. Right. We made them automated. Well, they're code. If, then, if this, then do this. Yeah. If then this or if then else statements. And if you ever did any programming, you know, it's basically a series of if then if mm-hmm. If, if then, this, then and, this. If then else, if then no. You know, it just makes decisions based on the code in the thing. So all they've done is programmed all this code in. They've taken sensors to provide inputs, the same thing a mechanic used to do or just instinctively knew to do. Right. And I say a mechanic, even a good halfway decent do-it-yourselfer kind of knew kinda all understood. this stuff. Right. He knew how this worked. In other words, he knew, okay, I've got to have fuel, fire, spark, uh, and, timing. And, and timing. 
So he would check those things. Now, on a modern-day car, the PCM is just making it. So what they did is just took a 1960s mechanic and put <laughs> put his brain into that well, PCM. <laughs> and, and you still need those four fundamentals. You still the same Even with today's brain. modern cars, you still have to have those four fundamentals for an engine to run. That's right. So whereas, like we've been talking today about checking these things manually, it was it was pretty simple to pull sure. plug wire off, check, see if you got a spark, look down the carburetor and see if you had gas spraying in there, check the compression, check see if you time. had compression, right. check the timing. I mean, it was pretty simple. Now, you know, even you could pull the distributor cap off, crank the motor over. If the rotor wasn't turning on the distributor. Then you, you knew you had something wrong inside. probably broke a timing chain or, or stripped the timing stripped gear. Stripped the gear or something. Now, as simple as that was back then, nowadays you can't do that. Stuff. Right. You have no distributor nowadays. You, you Everything can't is, see any of these things. Right. All of it is electronically controlled. So even though the same exact fundamentals apply, even though the same knowledge can tell you how to do this stuff, it's much more difficult to check these things. You just, or I say more, it's actually easier in some ways, but you've got to have the equipment designed to do the job to check. It's not a matter of just looking at it and examining it like it was then. Mm-hmm. Hey, last quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair, deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Aldersand, president of Aqua Automotive. Got Mr. Brian Terry, our general manager, right here by my side. Between two of us, we'll answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901 in case you don't feel like calling in. Or... Right. You can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. We still got a few minutes left. We can answer any we do. questions you may have. We do. And, you know, we were talking about the basics of carburetor a while ago, right. and we failed to mention what happens if we don't have fuel in the carburetor. Right. If you don't have fuel in the carburetor, now you have to start checking why. Exactly. And in those days, the fuel pump was up on the engine. It was a vacuum pump. It had to draw fuel from the tank. Right. And most of those were driven off of the camshaft. Right. Uh, either the uh, lobe on the camshaft or a lobe that was bolted to the camshaft. But it had a lever that actually would pump the fuel from the tank up to the carburetor. Right, and it would just suck it out of the tank through the fuel filter. So the fuel filter plugged up, it couldn't, it couldn't draw it through there. Exactly. Now, you know, one thing I used to fool a lot of people, too, they would check it and it had no fuel. So they said, oh, I'm sorry, just the fuel system. But what they neglected to check is that it had broken the timing gear. Uh-huh. So the camshaft wasn't turning, so the fuel so no pump fuel wasn't pump. moving. Sure. If they'd have checked a little further, they could have known they didn't have spark either. Because the stripper's not turning. Exactly. So you pull the cap off, crank no it, and the rotor's not turning. You know your camshaft's not turning, so you're not going to have fuel. 
Sure. So, again, it just goes back to a very, very basic knowledge of how all this stuff operates. Let's go to our phone line with David. Good morning, David. Good morning. Yes, I'm morning. enjoying the class today. I've got a question, though, on a completely different subject. You bet. That's fine. Mind. My little uh, 2007 Mazda pickup has manual mirrors Okay. Uh, on either side. Yes, sir. They're basically completely sealed in plastic. They do fold back manually, or I guess if you strike something. Mm-hmm. The one on the passenger side, when you shut the door, it moves the mirror, moves it outward. So it requires police, uh, frequent adjustment. Okay. You know, it, it, it just, it just physically moves like something's loose or moving? Inside it or the, the whole mirror moves? Well, I'm assuming it, the whole mirror moves. Okay. Not the frame of it, just the mirror yeah, like yeah. you're adjusting. Mm-hmm. It. Right. But, and I'm assuming it's a little uh, ball and socket. It, that's exactly right, David. It's got a ball and socket joint. And when it was designed, it was tight enough to that where it would, it would hold its position. It's just a friction-type device. Is that adjustable? No. Mm-hmm. 99.5% of them are not. I mean, I wouldn't say absolutely. I'm not that familiar with that one, but almost never are they adjustable. Mm-hmm. It's just a little metal-on-metal metal thing. And what happens over the years is that it's plated so that it, the rain and all that doesn't bother it. But if a little corrosion gets in there, it can eat away the plate, and the ball will get loose, and then it'll start moving. Is the correction uh, correct? action to replace it that would probably be the easiest thing to yeah. do i mean you may be able to get in there and kind of jury rig some type of device that would hold it tighter i just have to see it to see what's you know i, I would I can, first I, can, all, I would price a mirror if yeah. a mirror is relatively inexpensive let's say a mirror is 30 bucks well it's probably you just put a mirror on it let's okay. say a mirror is 300 dollars. well we're gonna figure something else out you know because i'm sure there's some kind of way you can get in there and put something on to apply some pressure to hold it I mean, yeah. worst case scenario, you could probably even fix it in place. You know, maybe take like some epoxy or something, get the housing off where you can get to the ball and joint, glue it all together. That way it won't move anymore. But if you set it exactly where you want it, it's really not going to matter. Possibly even put a screw through it where it just doesn't move anymore. I don't see any way to get inside that plastic. That, yeah, that glass is you gotta, clipped. you got to remove the mirror. The mirror itself has a clip in the back of it that clips to a plate that is bolted to that ball and socket. And you've got to be very gingerly trying to get that glass out because most of the time they you crack the glass getting it apart yeah okay again i would start out david just check yeah. the price for replacement you know if it's 20 30 bucks for a replacement mirror it ain't worth fooling with you know, just right. go ahead and get you another mirror but you unbolt it from the door and bolt the new one on yeah. and you're done it's, it's 300 okay. bucks or it's not available well then we got to start looking at other options all righty now you, I have one you mo- could probably get a universal mirror and put and in thank place. you for that information mm-hmm. yes sir uh are you learning french or spanish or what french <laughs> <laughs> Try and learn French. Okay. Uh, may we? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. Still got a few minutes. If you give us a call and try to get you a question answered. Sure. Or whatever you might have a little advice and wait. And you know, while we were on the subject of the older cars, mm-hmm. there's a lot of tests that you can run that we used to run mm-hmm. that are no longer valid on the newer stuff. That's right. Uh, you can really get yourself in a in a bind if you you try to diagnose the newer cars in the same way we did the old ones. Right. One point comes to mind is an analog voltmeter. Mm-hmm. You're not you cannot use an analog voltmeter on a digital circuit anymore. And everything fuel injection, modern cars, is pretty much is going to be digital. Digital. Yeah. The the analog meters would draw too much amperage. You could actually damage a component by using those. So basically, if you got an analog meter, you might put it on the shelf as an antique. Keep it for an old Show vehicle. Friends, keep it for an old vehicle. Possibly use it for something else. You could use it to check 
maybe the voltage in your socket uh-huh. at home or something like that. But you need, if you're going to do any type of repair on your car, you need a good digital voltometer sure. to use for that. Uh, same thing with test lights. There are a few applications where you can still use a test light, but that you have to be very, very careful. If you plug a test light across a digital circuit, it may draw too much amperage, and you can actually damage the circuit. You can. So, again, a lot of the stuff that we did regularly, you just can't do anymore. I remember a friend of mine, I used to work with this guy in a dealership, oh, 50 years ago. He calls me and says, well, Lewis, my car won't start. Right. What did you do to it? <laughs> he said, well, I wanted to see if the alternator was working, so I disconnected the battery while it was running, and it died. So and now it won't start back now up. Now it won't start. So I, I'm like, oh, man, you can't do that anymore. He said, well, so we used to always do that. Right. Said, well, yeah, used to. We you used, can't. But now you can't because an alternator is probably capable of producing up to 20 volts. Sure. It is controlled by the PCM on most cases today. Now, what happens is the battery is a buffer. It's absorbing this. It's judging the load based on what the battery requires. When you disconnect the battery, now you have an unregulated rate. Uh, right. Alternator. The alternator sees no battery There's voltage There's no conductivity now. back to the battery, so it, it may run up 17 to 20 volts. Sure. Easily. It can wipe out the PCM, which in his case, he got lucky. It cleared the memory on the PCM. Okay. So we just had to, repro- had to tow it over, reprogrammed it. But again, this is a full line mechanic, and he was a good mechanic. Sure. In the day. Sure. It's just that his knowledge did not transport forward. You know, in the day, if you want to see if the alternator was working, you disconnect the battery. Well, if it kept running, then that means the, the power was, was coming somewhere, so the alternator had to be charging. Exactly. Very simple test. It's just not, it's not feasible today. Feasible anymore. And there's lots of little things like that, not only on running, but on the car in general. I remember back in the day to test a ball joint or a tie rod, you take a big old pair of water pump pliers, you squeeze it. Mm-hmm. And if it moved up and down, it was bad. bad. Well, the problem is nowadays we don't have that kind of ball joint or that kind of tie rod. There's a little spring in there that holds it against a seat. The seat takes the slack out. Sure. So as it wears, it just pushes it further up so it takes it keeps the slack out of it. You take a big pair of water pump pliers and skeesh it down, Boy, you may you... collapse that spring. Well, now you do have a bad that, tie yeah. rod. <laughs> You know, because even a brand new one will move up and down. Sure. So that is not a viable test. At one point, it was perfectly viable. People did it every day. It worked just fine. But it doesn't work now. You know, it's like if you go to the world of mathematics, you can say we've got plane geometry, which is two parallel lines never meet. However, we know that if you want to build a road beyond the village, you need spherical geometry because you're dealing with the earth, which is round. Mm Mm-hmm. And two parallel lines do meet. Right. <laughs> Not that plane geometry is useless. It's still a good, viable its... sign. has its purpose, but right. it will not help you in this case if you're looking at a round object. You need spiritual geometry, spherical geometry for that. Same thing with cars. There are different techniques that do different things. And, again, you can't ever get away from just knowing the fundamentals. So I guess where we're going with all this, if you won't, to work on your car, particularly if you have an older car, but even if you have a newer one, Mm -hmm. where do you start? Get a very basic book on automotive. How does an engine work? Mm -hmm. How's a four-cycle? What does four-cycle mean? Because four-cycle means there are four different things that That occur occur within this engine. First off, the piston starts to move down. As it does, it draws fuel and air into the mixture. When it gets all the way down, it starts to rise up, which is compressing the fuel-air mixture. However, the camshaft is tied to the crankshaft. 
the valves have to close so you have a sealed chamber. So you can build compression. Now it builds compression. When the compression is built, the spark goes off, pushes the piston down. That's called the power stroke. The first is the intake stroke. The second is the compression stroke. The third is the power stroke. That's what's making the power. That's what's driving the car. Okay, when it gets down, the piston starts to move back up, but this time with the exhaust valve open, so it, so it pushes can... the old fuel air burn mixture out. That's the exhaust stroke. So on the intake stroke, it's moving down. The intake valve is open. Exhaust valve is closed. It draws air in because it's a, just like an air compressor. As draws that piston moves in. down the cylinder, it has to draw fuel air in. Whether it's injected, whether it's carbureted, Doesn't that's matter. how it has to work. Compression stroke, piston's moving up. Both valves closed. Okay, so now it's going to compress the fuel air mixture. Power stroke, both valves have to be closed because it's going to explode. That explosion has to drive that piston down to Correct. turn the crankshaft. Exhaust stroke, again, piston's moving back up just like it was on the power, on the compression stroke. But now, this but now time, the exhaust valve's open. So it's going to force out the burnt mixture. So that, you have to understand that thoroughly. You know, that's how right. this thing works. And this happens eight times. Well, in an eight-cylinder engine, yeah, all in process. All e- each in different time. cylinder has its own timing and all that. That's right. why it's so critical to have timing and all those sorts of things. So again, if you want to know how to fix the car, and I know this is not what you want to be learning, you want to learn how to fix stuff, right? Well, you know, I don't want to learn about verbs and prepositions and adverbs and descriptive, but I got to learn that before I can learn language. Exactly. <laughs> so same situation. Hey, I see we're completely out of time. We want to get on out of here. Tell everybody I much appreciate them listening this week and every week. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written view, and fill it out for us. Hey, go fill it out. That'll move us up in the ranking so more people can listen. More people listen, the longer we can do the show. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.